Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Who are the sheep that Jesus is talking about? Look in the mirror, all right? Look around you. You're the sheep. And you have one shepherd, one shepherd, one voice that you're supposed to listen to. There's lots of voices to listen to, isn't there, in this world? But you're supposed to listen to one voice, to respond to that one voice. Don't follow other voices because they can lead you astray. I believe when you follow Jesus, it's a call to follow, as we sang this morning, but it's a call to understand what that plan means. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And I want to kind of unveil that for you and, and reveal that to you. It's the call to actually make disciples. And I don't know that many Christians think of themselves as disciple-makers. I'm guessing that probably a lot of you think that's my job because I'm the pastor and I'm the one who's supposed to make disciples or the elders are supposed to make disciples. But I'm telling you, the Word of God tells us, God tells us, Jesus tells us that we are all to make disciples. It's a call to follow and do that. I'm sure you follow people on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, or whatever your favorite social media site is. You probably follow people. And whether you realize it or not, those people are influencing you. They are. They're influencing you. The way you make decisions and such. My question to you, and the one I want you to ask yourself, and be totally honest with yourself, the question I want you to ask is, who's influencing me the most? Who's influencing me the most? You see, I always want that answer to be Jesus. I always want it to be his voice that I'm hearing, and that's the one who's influencing me. But I can't say that's always the case. And I'm sure you get distracted by things. But we need to be guided by his voice. That's the one we need to follow. You know, my wife Jamie said that she felt like there's a lot of things pulling at us, a lot of distractions. Personally, I feel like there's a lot of things battling for my attention. I know sometimes it's my own fault. I put too many irons in the fire, as they say. I have a lot of things going on, but I just feel like I want to be like Mary instead of Martha, if you know the story, right? Mary just sat at the feet of Jesus, and that's really just what I want to do. It's t- sometimes it just gets overwhelming to be so busy all the time, and I just want to rest at the feet of Jesus. Are you picking up what I'm laying down here? Are you feeling it? The feeling the same way. We got to know his plan. We got to know what matters the most. And what matters the most to Jesus is we see this in the Gospels is that he taught his disciples to make disciples. In fact, Matthew records it beautifully in one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. It's Matthew 4.19. And I have a fishing boat, all right, and this is the name of my boat, all right. It's not on there officially, but it will be. Matthew 4.19, it says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, some of you know the disciples that Jesus followed or followed Jesus were fishermen. It was actually their job. They went out fishing for a living, but Jesus invites them to work for the kingdom. Now, I believe that Jesus is inviting you to do the same, to make disciples. Do you have kids? Well, they're your most important disciples. 
Do you have grandkids? They're your most important disciples. Do you have friends, family, neighbors, coworkers? They could be your most important disciple. We are called to make disciples. That's the call to follow. That's why I titled it the way I did. And I want you to hear that. I want you to hear the shepherd's voice this morning. And I want you to come running like the sheep in that video because we are called to be fishers of men. The call is the call to make disciples. Will you pray with me? God, as we hear this message this morning, may it really get our attention. And may we know that we're not in this world just to do whatever pleases us. We're in this world to do what pleases you. For that is our sole purpose, to bring you glory. And I pray, Father, that this church, the members of this church, this body of Christ, would do that, would bring you glory, would bring you honor by making disciples. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Now, we are blessed, I think, to have the harmony of the Gospels. And we've been spending time in the Gospels. We will be all year in the Gospels. And the harmony of the Gospels, as many of you know, is putting together all four Gospels because each writer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, had their vantage point, their focus in writing their account of the life of Jesus. But some of the stories that we see in the, in the Gospels, the stories of Jesus and the stories of the disciples, it helps if we just harmonize, if we put them all together so that we can see what happened. And this is a really great case of the calling of the disciples. We need three, really all four, uh, Matthew and Mark's account is really the same, but we need to bring them together. Because if you just read one, you might misunderstand what actually happened. Okay, here's my example of that. If you just read the book of Matthew, okay, if you just read the Gospel of Matthew, you would read in chapters 1, 2, and 3 about the uh, birth of Jesus, the genealogy of Jesus. You would read about his baptism, you'd read about his temptation, and then you would get to chapter 4, and you would read this in verses 18 through 22. Matthew just jumps right to this point in history. Okay, Matthew, in fact, is probably the least chronological gospel, if you will. He does not write chronologically. Okay, He jumps around. In Matthew 4.18, he says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he says to them, I mean, just picture the scene, right? These guys are out in their boat, they're doing their thing, they're fishing, they're fishermen. And here's Jesus on the shore, and he says in verse 19, Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Right? Is that what you, that's what, kind of what you see, you know, if you read this all on its own. And then this is the part that shocked me. Immediately, they left their nets and they followed him. Then going from there, they saw their two buddies, Brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. That's John who wrote the Gospel of John, okay? And, and then a few others, Revelation and such. And they were in the, the uh, boat with their father, Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called to them. And immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed Jesus. Now, if you read that on its own, you think to yourself, wow, these disciples had tremendous faith. Blind faith. I mean, they just, this guy comes along and says, hey, follow me. And they're like, and some of you are thinking, well, they're stupid. <laughs> Why would they do that? They don't even know this guy. But I'm telling you, they know him. 
They knew him pretty darn well. Because when we harmonize the Gospels, we see that they actually have known Jesus for about a year to a year and a half. So we bring into this the Gospel of John. In John chapter 1, we see that Jesus had been out walking and he walked by John the Baptist doing his thing. What does John the Baptist do? He baptizes. I ask easy questions on Sunday morning, okay? It's the Wednesday nights that'll get you, all right? Some of you are like, yeah. But it's still fun. So here's Jesus walking by John the Baptist, and a guy named Andrew, who's Peter's brother, was a disciple of John the Baptist. And he sees Jesus, and he starts following him, and Jesus says, what are you doing? What do you want? And he spends the day with them, and then he gets his brother Peter to spend the day with Jesus. This is a year before Matthew 4. They also, Jesus also pursues a, a man named Philip. Uh, not, uh, actually, Philip was uh, from Bethsaida as well. He was probably a fisherman. These guys were, were fishermen. And uh, Philip then goes and tells his buddy, Nathaniel, about Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel says that famous line, right? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? And I love Philip's response because it should be your response when people ask you about your faith. He says, come and see. Just come and see for yourself. Observe for yourself. Well, the disciples, most of them anyway, didn't follow blindly. They, they knew Jesus, actually, for about a year. They had spent some time with him. And um, I should tell you that I think most new Christians will rarely, it's pretty rare to see this happen, for example, someone comes to church for the first time. Maybe they've never been really in a church before. They come to church, and all of a sudden, they're just all in, right? Following Jesus, 100%. It rarely happens. It's a process. People need to observe. They need to come and see. Need time to develop roots, faith, trust, right, in God, in Jesus. It's a process. Jesus spent three and a half years with his disciples to develop them, to help them get to the point where when he left, they continued on. I want you to hear this. This is important. The call to follow is a call to take action. It's a call to take action. You see, so many Christians are led to believe that they're good Christians if they read their Bible, they pray, and they go to church. Maybe you've heard that growing up. Maybe you've got that impression Oh, and then, of course, if you give financially, right? But what is Jesus calling his disciples to? Is he giving them a Bible reading plan, right? Is he telling them that you need to... Is he giving them a list of do's and don'ts, or is he showing them how to live their lives? That's what I see. I see the call to follow as a way to take action. It's more than just learning and growing, it's a call to action. This kind of reminds me of my first and probably last ever stand-up comedy routine performance. I know it's hard to believe that this guy up here was a stand-up comic for one night, but I was. The way it turned out, or the way it happened, is several years ago I was at a pastor's conference. You think you're safe at a pastor's conference, but every pastor thinks they're funny anyway, right? You know this. Well, one of my pastor friends thought he was really funny. In fact, he still does little stand-up comic acts. 
uh, clean comedy. And um, he invited a bunch of pastors to do an eight-week training at the famous Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle in Royal Oak. And he invited us to uh, just get some training on how stand-up comics do their thing, put together a bit, and so on. So I thought to myself, well, at the time I was uh, part-time, I was still a teacher, and so I had the summers off from teaching, and so I thought, hey, I'll do it. Eight weeks, it'll be fun. You know, we'll go out to lunch, we'll have some laughs, we'll talk shop, you know, it'll be great. Well, we get to the first session, and in that first session, the comedy, the professional comedian who's training us, lets us know that at the end of our training, we are putting on a performance. And we're supposed to invite our friends and family to this performance. My anxiety level just went whew, through the roof. Uh, I thought we were just going to hang out, get some laughs, learn a few things. You know, maybe we could deliver a little better in our sermons those jokes, you know, those one-liners and so on. Well, no. It was a call to action. It was a call to actually put on a show. And believe it or not, we did it. Some of you in this room were there. Okay, you came to it. Uh, we filled the house. A couple hundred people came out, and it was a bunch of pastors with a nice, clean comedy act, and it was fun. We had a lot of laughs. We got to know each other pretty well. But I learned quickly that uh, that's not my calling. <laughs> in fact, we hosted a comedy night here, and uh, I tried a little bit on blueberries and didn't go over so well. And, uh, but uh, that's okay. Uh, you can probably uh, search out on YouTube somewhere and find our, our acts out there. I made fun of teenagers because I was a, sorry teenagers in the front row, but uh, that's my, uh, that was my uh, fun. Good success. I took action. I didn't wimp out. But I think that my calling is the same as your calling, and that's to make disciples. And when you are called to make disciples, it's a call to take action. Right? It's not just a call to read your Bible, go to church, and pray. It's a call to take action, to actually make disciples. And I think if you're going to make disciples, it's going to require you to have some conversations with people. Take some time. Walk with them. Just like Jesus walked with his disciples. Do you know there's probably thousands of books written on how to make disciples? Think about it. Everybody thinks they're an expert on how to make disciples in the church. I don't need to read those books, and you don't need to read those books, because Jesus gave us the most simple model ever. The model to make disciples that Jesus followed was threefold. He said, hey guys, watch me. They did. And then he said, hey guys, let's serve together. They did. And then he said, thirdly, okay, you go out and serve, and I'll watch you. And they did. And that model works. You know how I know it works? There's millions and millions and millions of Christians today. It works. Making disciples who make disciples. It's a simple process. But it takes time for us to walk with people. Jesus called us all to be fishers of men. And that's what we see in the Gospels. I want you to see the details, though, of that interesting encounter with Jesus like I said, if you just read Matthew, you think, well, here's Jesus. He just shows up out of nowhere, yells out to these young fishermen, come follow me, and they drop everything and follow him. But there's so much more to the story, and to see that, we've got to go to Luke. So if you have your Bibles, you can go to Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. If you need a Bible for yourself, there's free ones on the back table. You're welcome to take one. In Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11, I'm going to 
go a little bit at a time just to show you and kind of break it down for you what happened on this special day when the disciples were called to follow and they left everything and followed Jesus. Are you with me? I need an amen. Amen. All right. Verse 1. On one occasion, the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God. He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee. Just another name for the Sea of Galilee. If you ever look at a map, you'll see it was kind of a focal point there in, uh, in their area in Galilee. This is the beginning of the second year of Jesus' ministry. So he's been doing this for about a year. How do we know that? Well, it says the crowd was pressing in on him. He was drawing a crowd wherever he went because he had done some healings in Jerusalem. He had done some teachings. He had overturned the temple, right? He had, he had, he had, you know, his ministry had begun. It's been going on for about a year and he's getting pretty famous. In fact, the second year of Jesus' ministry is a year of popularity. He is becoming extremely famous in that area. Verse 2, he saw two boats by the lake. I mean, there's so many people, they're everywhere. And so he sees the boats, and the fishermen had gone out of them, they're washing their nets. And he gets into one of the boats, which happened to be Peter's, and he asks Peter to put him out a little from the land, just to kind of get away from the people so he could address them. He sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished teaching them, he says to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Now, he had taught the crowd, but now he's going to teach Peter. In fact, he's about to get real personal with Peter. He's going to help Peter see his heart. His heart. You know how they say the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it divides our heart, right? It just fillets us wide open. Well, These fishermen had flayed many fish, and they know exactly what that means. And Peter is about to have his heart filleted. He's about to have it torn wide open so he can see it clearly. Jesus is going to help him see it. For verse 5, okay, it says that Simon responds to, to Jesus, Simon Peter. He says, Master, shows his respect, we toiled all night and we took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets you got to understand, he wasn't happy about this. He worked his butt off all night fishing. This was his way he earned a living, and he didn't make a dime. They didn't catch any fish. Now, I love fishing, as you know. I go out on Lake St. Clair. I fish all the time, and there are times I come back, and my wife says to me, how'd you do? I didn't do very well. (laughs) Out there the whole time, couldn't find them. It's the most frustrating thing ever when you go out fishing and you can't catch any fish. I was very upset. I've been very upset, all right, when it happens. It's it's a frustrating thing. I understand Peter and his friends and what they are experiencing. So frustrating. But Jesus tells them to do something, so he does it. And when they had cast their nets where Jesus told them to, get this, verse 6, they enclosed a large number of fish So many fish, the nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Every Memorial Day, around Memorial Day, there's a couple weeks down in the Detroit River that the white bass or silver bass spawn. 
They come up from Lake Erie. Um, if you like fishing, you have to experience this. It's the most amazing thing ever. It's so exciting. Some of you in this room have been out on my boat and experienced this with me. Some of you have gone on your own. But you will literally catch fish until your arm falls off. All right? Until you can't do it anymore. It's so easy to catch fish. I've literally thrown a bear hook and caught fish. Am I right, Joey? Did I catch him with the bear hook? That's right. It's so easy. So I understand this excitement that Peter and his fisherman buddies felt. Here they are, spent the whole night fishing, didn't catch anything. Jesus says, put your nets down in the deep. Right there, you'll catch fish. And they did. And they were just looking around at each other like, can you believe this? Look how much money we're going to make. This is amazing. This is awesome. But in that moment, Peter, his heart was revealed to himself. He realized. And how did he go from so much excitement to just utter sadness? What happened? Why did he say, verse 8, when Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees and he said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. What happened to Peter that he went from all this excitement about catching fish to I'm a sinner? What happened? It wasn't a sin of disobedience. He may have grumbled, you know, I'm fine, I'll put up my nets. But he did it. This was not a sin of disobedience. This was a sin of unbelief. This is a sin of unbelief. He didn't trust Jesus. In Romans 14, 23, it says, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Whatever does not come from faith is sin. Peter didn't believe Jesus. He thought to himself, I'm a professional fisherman. You don't know what you're talking about. He may not have said it, but he thought it. I've been doing this. I know this lake like the back of my hand. I know all the fishing holes, all the honey holes, all the sweet spots. I know where to go to catch fish. I didn't catch any. How are you going to help me catch fish? He didn't believe him. He didn't trust him. He didn't have faith. And you know what? The root of much of your sin and mine, the root cause of your sin is unbelief. You lack faith. You don't believe. And when you have that sin or any sin, you should confess it. So I want to ask you, the last time you spent time confessing your sins to God, when's the last time you had a confession time where you and the Lord, you just went into your prayer closet and you just prayed and, and confessed it all to God? When you did that last, I bet you never confessed any sins of unbelief. Oh, I'm sure the sins that came to mind were the sins of disobedience. You know, the swear word that you said on accident, you know, or maybe the multiple swear words that you said, or, or when you lost your temper, you might have confessed that time, or when you ate the last cookie and you blamed it on the kids, or when you said you had a church meeting but you really went fishing. Okay, maybe these are my sins that I'm talking about here, but you know, you got them. My guess is that all you confess are your sins of disobedience. 
Because most Christians think of sin as a list of do's and don'ts. Am I right? Don't do this, do that. Thou shall not, right? The Ten Commandments. But Romans 14, 23 says, what Jesus helped Peter see, when you don't believe, that's a sin. When you don't have faith in God, that's a sin. You see, if you don't believe God can fix your situation, I don't care how frustrating it is, I don't care how messed up your situation is, I don't care how impossible you think your situation is, if you don't believe God can fix it, you're sinning against him. That's disobedience. So the next time you pray and confess your sins to God, confess your sins of unbelief. Those areas of your life where you lacked faith and you just said, you know what, Jesus, you scoot over, let me drive. Confess it. He will forgive you. I promise he will forgive you. And then just meditate on this. I know you think it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. I want you to discover what Peter did on that day. Apart from God, we can do nothing. But in Christ, we can do all things because he strengthens us. When Peter followed his own expertise, he caught zero fish. When Peter followed Jesus, he caught so many fish, the boat started to sink. So if you ever feel like, man, I really want to follow Jesus. I want to make disciples. But this is really scary. I don't know if I'm ready. Just remember this story. Don't worry. God's got it taken care of. In fact, he knows where the fish are. He'll lead you right to them. You just have to focus on that. We go on to verse 9. He and all who were with him were astonished at this catch of fish they had taken. So were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus says to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. You see, this isn't just Jesus showing up out of the blue. They never met him before and they follow this guy. This is somebody they knew for about a year. They had spent some time with him. And now he comes and he shows them their own heart. He reveals to them that they cannot do this on their own. That even though they are not prepared, they're weak in their faith, he's still going to help them. And that's what we need to know. That's what we need to see. We need to see that this is why the disciples followed Jesus. Think about it. Why did they follow him? Why did they go all in, leave everything, and follow Jesus? It, made common, it was common sense. In fact, it was the most logical thing to do. I mean, any other decision would have been totally foolish. Look what he just did for you. Why would you not follow him? This wasn't, oh, the disciples got caught up in emotion because the music was playing and the preacher was preaching loud and he was calling everybody forward for the altar call. This wasn't that. This was, hey guys, this is the most common sense thing to do. There's no other choice that makes any sense but this one. And I think that still applies today. Don't you? The most common sense, the most logical decision for you to make is to follow Jesus, to make disciples, to be fishers of men. Could there be any greater job than working for the King of Kings? 
the Lord of Lords? Have you responded to his voice? Are you making disciples on a regular basis? You might think you're not ready. Well, let me remind you, his calling is not based on what you have, your abilities. His calling is based on what he's able to do through you. There's an old saying, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Right? He doesn't call you because you're prepared and you got all your act together and you got everything figured out and you're a holy roller, all right? He calls you to equip you. He just wants you to be willing. Right? You need to be willing. Ephesians 4, verse 1. Paul says this to the church. I am a prisoner for the Lord and I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And that's what I'm doing today. I'm standing in front of you to urge you to follow through on this calling. This is the calling to make disciples to take action. You've got to take action. And here's the cool part. When you back up and you read Ephesians 2.10, right after 2.9, everybody knows 2.9, where we're saved by works? No, we're saved by because no one can boast. But right after that, verse 10, he says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. You see, God has a plan for you. You just need to step into it. Think about that. You leave this place today, and God has a plan for you. You just need to step into it. You just need to walk. In his way, in his ways. Follow him. Many years ago, I was pretty discouraged as a pastor. Lots of things can do it. And frankly, I wanted to quit. I don't want to be a pastor anymore. Because ministry is hard. And I know I'm not alone because joking amongst pastors, we always say, ministry would be great if it wasn't for the people. <laughs> Gets messy. But God had a plan. You see, many years ago, when I was very discouraged, I was at a, another uh, pastor's meeting and there was a pastor there who prayed often, I know, Ephesians 2.10. He prayed for God to show him where he could join in his work. And he was willing to step into God's plan. And he saw me, he saw me discouraged, he saw me frustrated. And he said, hey, let's meet. And he met with me for two years. For two years he walked with me, encouraged me. And I tell you that I'm a full-time pastor today Partly because of him, because of his encouragement. Are you willing to do the same? I think God is always working around you. But you've got to be praying and asking God, where are you working so I can join you? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so we could walk in them. Right now, there's someone in your life that needs to hear the truth. There's someone in your life that needs discouraged, is feeling hopeless. God is saying to you, walk with them. Help them. Talk to them. Encourage them. Make a disciple of Jesus. Are you willing to take action? Are you listening to his voice? Because that's the one that matters. Follow me, he says, and I'll make you fishers of men. I want to invite you to pray a prayer of commitment. If you feel like this message has spoke to you, God is speaking to you right now, I don't want you to let that pass by. I want you to act. I want you to commit to the Lord. 
And the way I want you to commit is just simply to pray a prayer. Speak to God, talk to him, and let him know that you are all in. You want to follow him. And so the way you can pray this prayer is just to pray it silently after I um, say the lines of this prayer. And um, I believe if you are praying it genuinely, God will hear your prayer, and he will bless you, and he will bless others, because we are called to make disciples. So will you bow your heads? If you'd like to pray this prayer, then just pray silently these words. Heavenly Father, I thank you for pursuing me. I thank you for opening my eyes to believe in you. I see now you have called me to follow you, to make disciples. I confess my sins of unbelief. My lack of faith is insulting to you. Please forgive me. I put my trust in Jesus he died for my sin. He rose from the grave. And he gives me new life. I don't want to make any more excuses, Lord. I want to follow you every day. And I want you to work through me. Show me those that I can love and serve. Open my eyes to see. And as always, protect me from the evil one. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you if you prayed that prayer because we need all of us to make disciples. This community that we are in has thousands and thousands of people that are feeling hopeless and they need to know the love of Jesus. They need you to show it to them. This is not my job. I'm going to help us. <laughs> I'm part of it. But we're all part of the solution. Amen.